Hey guys, this is Holly and no, Laura and I are not taking another indefinite break, but we are going to be taking the rest of 2017 off. This was something that we just decided this week as in the 19th of December, um, that we were going to, instead of plugging a couple of extra episodes in so that we release one every week, that we were going to actually listen to our, uh, ourselves (laughs) and take some time off and be with our families, um, and not crank. And so this is the last episode of 2017. It wasn't intended that way. It just kind of happened. Um, it's a great episode. But we will be back in 2018 with all new, fresh stuff. We love you guys so much. We are completely and always in awe of um, of how supported we are by this community. And we thank you guys so much for for giving a shit and listening and being part of this. Um, if you want to give us a Christmas present please go to iTunes and give us a rating. This helps us so much. We are making moves to try and get some support so that it's not such a slog. A slog a word? I don't know. So it's not so hard. So if you want to help us out, like the best way that you can do that, honestly, is by going to iTunes and giving us a rating. If the show has helped you at all in any way or someone that you love, um, you know, please just help us by, by making sure that um, more people find out about it and that we also get a bit more infrastructure to make it easier. And with that being said, love you so much from the bottom of my heart. I know Laura feels the same way. We just, we are infinitely grateful to you. And we'll see you next year. There is hope for us yet. We are young, we are I am Laura McCowan. And I am Holly Whitaker, and this is Home Podcast. And so it would begin. And these are such long podcasts. Hi, hey. You don't want to do this. Do you want to do this? No. Are you happy to be doing this intro? Okay. Do you know what's going to happen, though, is we're going to both, I know, and what's going to happen is we're going to put it on our calendar and then have to come back, fuck this shit, we're here, let's just record them. Um, You've been sitting on your ass because you're writing a book and you have a call with your agent in an hour. Yes, um, an hour and a half, and I've been, I just have been sitting a lot, period, lately, and I'm stir crazy, and. I get it. I'm the same. Yeah, no. I do know. Cool. So, um, anything you, you want to promote? And you guys, what are we doing here? <laughs> what the fuck are we doing? Um, okay, what we do here. <laughs> um, you guys, uh, Laura and I are going to make some quick announcements, then we're going to get right to this episode because we clearly are struggling. Um, my announcement is Hip Sobriety School. Um, the eighth Hip Sobriety School starts on January fourth, and we are going to be hosting a. I'm going to be hosting a webinar to explain what it is, um, and talk about. Um, I'm doing a new one this time. I'm doing um, a video on. 
I think it's on like the 10 ground rules to build a successful recovery or something like that. I don't know. But anyways, if you want to know more about Hip Sobriety School, uh, it's an eight-week course that helps you to renegotiate your relationship with alcohol. Uh, it is uh, – you can go to hipsobriety.com or you can go to the hipsobrietyproject.com and you can get on the wait list. Um, do it. Okay. Yours do more. it. I don't have anything to promote. Uh, the Bigger Yes registration closed last week. Uh, we sold out, and that starts in January. And otherwise, all my stuff is um, not open for sale right now. <laughs> all right, cool. Unless you want to be – unless you want to come cook me stuff or, like, make things or, like, exercise <sighs> Do me or – what? You know, I was talking to Megan and she was talking about – she just moved in with her boyfriend and he set he up their – did? Yeah. Wow. Um, I know. Um, and um, he set up their house. Um, he like set up a smart home for them. And you know, like this is what I want. Like more than anything in this world, what I want is a man so that he can like handle my technology. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> like no, that is <laughs> it's But like, that's a very good start. <laughs> right. I just am like, can you organize can you show me how to sync my photos and like store them properly so I don't have to keep buying bigger iPhones? Can you like yeah. help me set up my T te- like I just I want somebody to you help me figure out storage solutions. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I now know. I would get in a relationship I... just for that. Yeah, I I would be in – well, so here's my things that I would be in a relationship for right now, for that sentence. Um, <laughs> here's what I would someone, be in relationships for. Go. For. Um, someone who can cook and cook well huh. and cook like, like, like things that my body really needs and likes. I would do a lot for that right now. Hmm. Uh, I would also – God, just I I don't need that mu- that much like technology, whatever. Um, just like there's okay, I don't have a fucking tree yet this year. Okay, and I'm so really, you're looking for like a house. You're looking for like a um a house man or like a. I'm, I want a house man. I want That's a man awful. <laughs> that will take out my trash. <laughs> it's so funny because I'm like I'm afraid to say anything now either. Like that is, I mean it. It's like like I walked past. I have there's these very good looking guys that work at the front desk in my building, and Megan and I walked past them the other day, and we walked down the street, and I just said, "I this is so wrong of me to say, but I I think." Both John and Steve are so attractive. And then I was just like, can I say stuff like that? Because, I mean, it's it's funny because – but the difference is I'm not walking past them and asking them, you know, like how far up the – like, you know, their the tattoo on like their thigh goes or what they're – Right. Why or they're not smiling. Their or their balls feel <laughs> or like – You're wearing, you're wearing right that suit. Like, do you want to watch me masturbate, guys, on my way up to my apartment? No, I mean, it's – but it is like – but there is a fine line in between, you know, like – I like what we're asking yes, for. for like, sure. like Megan pointed out something. She saw something on Facebook the other day where somebody was talking about women's equality, and then the next thing was a picture of a guy's 
abs. And I was like, well, we can't do that, clearly, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wonder – but I was like, I, I don't think I would mind if some – if men whispered to them each other. If I, Maybe I would. I don't know what I'm asking for anymore um, and, like, what the line is and what my part is in it. But I know we can't I, say house man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. Well – I'm not asking him to do me sexual favors or anything. I'm just saying it would be nice to have someone to help with certain little things once in a while or big things like food. I get it. That I'm so failing on. Um, uh, I've started with yeah. um, Thistle, Thistle.com, and I'm really I'm still looking for them to give me like free food for saying their name. Um, but they're amazing. They do vegan gluten free food. Called? Thistle, T H I S T L E dot com. That's cute. Mm-hmm. And Thistle, Thistle, and they deliver. <laughs> Organic, vegan, gluten-free um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, and I'm only doing their lunch and dinner options right now, but it's so worth it. I eat so healthy. Oh, days? my God. Six days a week. That's so awesome. It's amazing, and it's really good food. Um, it's, an, it's like being a Californian is tits. Yeah, you guys are so spoiled <laughs> with what you can have as far as food. It's ridiculous. Well, in San Francisco I'm like, geez, I could yeah. go across the street and get like a – lobster roll or fish and chips or I could go up the street and get like a grinder. I don't know what that <laughs> sandwich. is. Oh, I sounds gross. <laughs> <laughs> we eat so bad. Yeah. Um so this episode is uh with our friend um with with my friend and I guess you're a friend, but with my close friend, um, friend <laughs> um yeah. Jeff DeFlavio, and uh, who is the founder of Join Groups, uh, which is a uh, a, a VC backed chain of of opi. I'm sorry, my brain just died. Um, of opiate addiction recovery centers, and uh, Jeff is also I. There's so few people that are doing something in the world of recovery that um that get it, and I and I don't mean to say that everyone in the world of recovery is an asshole or a scammer or whatever, but. Um, that Jeff has – he's one of the – I think he's the only like entrepreneur CEO of a company – of a recovery company that um, is socially justice-minded, um, understand – like really, really like understands the the problem and the systemicness mm-hmm. of the problem. And um, he's one of the smartest people and I know. And has a medical background. Well, he's a, a medical – he's a doctor, right? Well, he's a residency. But, um, but anyway, no, but I mean he also has like – he's just – he's one of the few people that I can – that I can have – a legitimate conversation with about um, what's really going on um, and that has used his uh, has used has used his life to do something about it and so mm-hmm. so yeah he's great yeah he was great and it was it was fun because we just kind of riffed like we didn't have a total you know much of a plan or any plan at all when we talked to him other than we just wanted to hear what's going on with him and we kind of went in a bunch of different directions and he um have some super smart things to say, of course. And mm-hmm. he's in a world that we don't focus on a ton, you know, or really much at all. We kind of stay in the alcohol space and he lives in, in, um, opioid addiction and they're, they're different. They're same and different animals, you know? And I, I don't know, for me, I'm always interested to hear like what specifically are the challenges of that. And, and we talk, we had this weird Oh, we need to caveat the thing, right? Oh, yeah. Where- Sam Canonas is not who Jeff is mad at. 
Jeff is right. mad at the writer of Hillbillyism. Hillbillyology. Yeah, whatever. Okay. <laughs> Hillbillyology. <laughs> Did you say Hillbillyism? I don't know. I knew it was Hillbilly <laughs> plus. <laughs> so I don't even know. I don't know. I just wanted to make that correction. Sorry, Sam Quinones. We're not talking about you. We think your book is yeah, great. Jeff's not at mad at you. And Jeff thinks that your book, Dreamland, is, is great. great. Um, he was confused for the entire episode thinking we were talking about Hillbillyology. <laughs> Which I also read, which I thought was, you know, is just a completely different book. So uh, there's that. And anything? Yeah, I think. No, I think that's it. Give Jeff to the people. So you guys, um, so one thing I do want to mention before we go into this, uh, Jeff's company is called Joint Groups. It is an opiate uh, addiction recovery solution. It pairs group coaching, uh, group uh, group processing with uh, drug interventions, uh, and it is expanding on that. It's primarily in areas that most likely are target demographic. Uh, isn't uh, the 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 clinics are in the hardest hit areas, um, but there is uh, the treatment is expanding. If you are interested, if you're struggling with opiate addiction, um, you can call one eight hundred six eight three eight three one three, or you can text recovery to three one three one three one to get an appointment and see if it's right for you. But, Love it. Yeah. Okay, here's Jeff. All right. Hey, Jack. Hey, Laura. Hi. Hello. Welcome Thanks back, Jeff. Thanks for having me. It's a yeah. pleasure. Always a pleasure. Um. <laughs> when did we have him last? Has it been over a year? You all will remember Jeff is the one that was sitting in the aviary. <laughs> yes. I do love birds. Right. I do love being outside. <laughs> do you remember that? It was so bad. You were like on your phone and you were in a courtyard and there was, it was just – It was great for me though. It was yeah. a beautiful day. I'm sorry. It was bad for our sound quality. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more savvy now. And also you were a little stiff. That's kind of what I remember too. Right, Laura? Mm. Wasn't – I'm sorry. <laughs> little stuff. Clearly you guys have become friends since then. That's my beat name, Little Stiff. That's what they call me. No. No. <laughs> No, um, he, you, you know, I mean, I don't know. Do you get interviewed very often for a podcast with two chicks? Like, <laughs> asking not really. I'm, I'm, I'm easily intimidated. So it's probably Holly's reading. And yes, we have become friends. Yeah. All right. So, okay. So we're just like, so we've done the introduction. Everyone knows who you are, what you're about. Um, I think like one of the first things that I want to ask is, you know, so I was looking at stats this morning about opiate overdose. This is kind of where I want to start. And then I think we just kind of naturally let this mm-hmm. conversation take it, take its course. But I was looking at stats this morning for opiate overdo- uh, overdoses because at some point when I started reporting facts on alcohol and reporting statistics on alcohol specifically in the United States, um, drug deaths in total um, were not even half as much as uh, as, al- as deaths due to alcohol. Alcohol was the mm. fourth leading cause of preventable death. And it would have taken, I think when I used to look at the numbers, and these are probably 12, 2012 numbers that were reported at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, they It was um, the number of overdo- overdoses um, plus suicide plus um, – I can't remember, maybe murder. I can't remember what it was exactly, but it was like a lot. It took a lot of death to equal 
deaths by alcohol. Um, it wasn't half. And today, when I went to look up stats, I think I was looking at 2016, and I think I was looking at 15K deaths from heroin, 15K deaths, overdose deaths in 2016 from heroin, about 15K deaths from uh, semi-synthetic opiates, and about mm-hmm. 20,000 from synthetic, from fentanyl. And so that which equals 50,000 deaths yep. from overdose in 2016. Yep. And what is this? What is the rate of increase from two thousand, like from two thousand and sixteen to two thousand fifteen? Yeah, it's going to be probably a little bit over sixty this year. It's gone. It's gone up substantially. Okay, but and, still, and and what is it? What is it for alcohol related? deaths is it still substantial it's, it's much more than it's that? stabilizing but it's increasing it's not increasing at the same rate opiate deaths are um sure, that's sure. For, that's for certain um we've been we we you know drinkers been at this a lot longer um <laughs> but it is um i mean it's shocking to me that it's outpacing i mean it, that it's outpacing um all other at that rate and i just i'm curious um I mean, I know we like this kind of is, I think just maybe to get our like listeners up to speed, like what are the driving, I mean, obviously like fentanyl is a big part of this, but like what are the, just like the, I guess the summary version of why it's going up so quickly? Yeah. Yeah. So the, that's, that's a great question. So the, the drivers of why opiate overdoses are up, you know, several fold every year, it feels like, um, is, is really that, you know, starting 15 years ago. There were millions of people, 20 years ago, millions of people who became um, dependent on prescription painkillers. And then um, obviously over time, a lot of people transitioned to transition to heroin or other much more dangerous substances. Um, and that has been accelerated in the past four years by the fact that the medical establishment has finally, finally caught up a bit to how out of control their prescribing practices were. And in an attempt to, you know, right the ship, they, um, physicians are prescribing, you know, probably 15, 20% uh, fewer opiates than they were four years ago. And the thing is, if you, if you reduce those prescriptions without providing treatment capacity, right. everybody switches to illegal, illegal drug use. Um, and and in that market, um, the heroin there just there just wasn't enough of it. So it started getting cut with fentanyl, and all these other things became introduced really to compensate for the extreme market demand. Um, yeah. In my opinion. Yeah, and we're talking we're talking about fentanyl. One of the things that I found since our last conversation, I didn't realize how powerful it was. Um, and I heard a, a story, and and I know there's many stories like this, but I was listening to a podcast about. Uh, I think a drug enforcement agency agent, or police officer, somebody in one of the harder hit areas who uh, overdosed just from skin contact with fentanyl. Um, yeah. And so it's, I mean, this is like, it's just an incredibly potent lethal drug. Um, and it's right. the biggest country. It's the highest margin of what's causing the overdose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's not like, um, you know, prescription opiates are safe, but they're a hell of a lot harder to overdose on than heroin. And even heroin is substantially more difficult to overdose on than fentanyl. I mean, fentanyl, you're balancing on a knife's edge yeah. every single time that you use. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy. so crazy because I've had three friends in the past three months be prescribed <sighs> fentanyl for pain. 
And that's another thing. Can we talk about that for a second? Because I was, I think like one of the things that I think is a big contributor to this is we just don't have it. Like, and you were talking about why are more people, why that you think that substance abuse in general is skyrocketing. Addiction is in general in America. We're talking about America. I don't know. I'm not that familiar Uh with other countries. Um, And I think I just recently read Marion Williamson's book, Tears to Triumph. And I think like part of this is that we just like are – we are telling ourselves a story that we shouldn't feel pain. I think that there is – on the front end of this, it's not just that they're prescribing less to people that become have become addicted – I think that we on some at some point there was a shift that we just shouldn't experience pain that we shouldn't that it, it sh- that that's not normal. Well, it became I'm Steph. I'm sure you're like have six thousand things to say, but I'm just learning. <laughs> I'm just learning about this that that like uh, I don't know what year it was, but but pain became one of like the five five or six vital signs. Yeah. And, like. And so, yeah, it's literally in the best interest of doctors, especially in hospitals where they really have to like keep high customer service ratings to make the pain go away. Yep. Yep. And and it's interesting that that particular piece of history is, you know, uh, the Joint Commission, which certifies something like or approves something like 90 percent of inpatient hospital beds in the United States and licenses them. Um, They're now being sued. By I, I know at least a couple of towns in West Virginia um, mm. are are coming forward and, and trying to hold them accountable for for doing that so so recklessly. But what's what's interesting about it is is not just the culpability, but like where does that idea come from that right. pain needs to be managed to zero? And right. it's it's of a piece with the way that we overprescribe psychiatric meds and try right. to eliminate uh, psychic depression. pain through, right. yeah, rather than through, you know, your doctor never says like, well, maybe you should like go to church and hang out with What's people, your life? And some friends and like, you know, or something. They're like, yeah, here, here, please, you know, go to therapy for a couple of hundred dollars an hour and, uh, and take all take this medication. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's just, I mean, there's like, there's so many pieces to this and this could be, I swear we could probably record like a 12 hour special, but I, <laughs> I think that there's like, there's so many interesting pieces to this. And, and one, I think it's that there's also just the over medicalization of everything as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's just the, the idea that you carve people up and you come up with a solution for them. And that solution should be very easy and it should be in pill form and it should make the, you know, the thing go away. Um, and and so anyway, I, I, so that has been partial. Um, pardon me, but th- that that has been partially like an attempt to deal with the stigma, right? So we we've we've in many ways replaced like the medical regime of all of these problems, whether it's drug use or depression um, or other psychiatric issues, with a medicalized language because it feels destigmatizing and empowering, and like you know it's not your fault, you know you got some problems with your brain chemistry, and we're going to fix you right up and get you on your way, and we've, it, it's, it's a kind of regime of language that I use a lot and, and we mm-hmm. all do because, because what, what are we going to do? Call people drug addicts? Like we don't want to do that. So what, what other language do we have? We have medical language and medical yeah, solutions. Right. Um, so it, it's like, we've, we tried to solve one problem and we created 
other one. Obviously. But it's also, it's also the point. fact, it's also a perfectionist thing though. It's like beyond yep. that, it's this idea that we're supposed to, I mean, like the, one of my favorite books is Mad in America that just traces, you know, the history of me- of how we treat mental illness um, in, in America. And like so much of it is so obvious that it's like that we try and like part of this is a dire- like we're trying to derive from an idea that people should be a certain way. We're trying to derive that people should feel a certain way. People should be happy. They should be prosperous. They shouldn't, you know, they, they should act in, in alignment with like the, you know, the moral codes that society puts forth. And, and there's like, there's so much to it, like in that sense. But then there's also the fact that we are a medicalized society. One of my other favorite books is the American healthcare paradox, which just talks about how there are nations that invest 20% of their GDP into, um, social services and 10% into medical. And then here, you know, we, we put less than 10% into social services and, yep. and increasingly, you know, I think we're at 20% of GDP, um, into medical. Mm-hmm. And so there's just, I don't know, there's got to pay for it one way or another. That's right. It's the same problems. Except people Couldn't in those countries more. that have the reverse ratio are way healthier and have longer. <laughs> life. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I guess what I mean is we have to kind of pay to prevent the carnage of, like capitalism in modern society one way or another and yeah. we can pay up front or we can pay for it with ill health and right. epidemics left and right mm. what what um just thinking like what do you how what have you seen in the past year in your company in groups and like mm-hmm. how is that going and are you feeling more hopeful <laughs> less hopeful <laughs> about the stuff we're talking about or what, you know? So I'm feeling, Oh wow. Am I feeling more or less hopeful? Um, it's not the thing we're talking about. Not in your life. I mean, about I don't society. Know. <laughs> I mean, I think it's like about a, the opiate epidemic and then also about society in general. Right. That's yeah, my guess that I, she's asking. Yeah. I, I, I think I'm feeling, um, Maybe more helpful because uh, hopeful because I we've seen over the past couple of years the model that we're using really proved out and we're getting outcomes that we're that everybody who works here is super proud of um, and I think we're also seeing that there are a lot of there are a lot of aspects to what we do which are you know our our treatment which is based in community and reconnecting with other people and giving patients who come to see us, you know, our members permission to care for each other that previously no one, you know, in the medical establishment gave a lot of credence to it. Be like, go to, go to an AA meeting, um, join that community. But having it, having it all integrated, we're, we're seeing the benefits of that. And uh, people, there are a lot of people in our program and a lot of people in general who, who are recovering from, from opiate, um, use like as, as many people as are dying there are a lot of people getting better yeah. and i think that the carnage is really extreme in terms of how many people are dying and the way that they're yeah. dying on the street and so many so many different ways and and there are you know corollaries of like homelessness increasing and um you know holly i, I know you, you you used to live in la and i saw a report today that like homelessness in homelessness in uh, la increased by like 25 percent last year Wow. Um, yeah, just absolutely. And, you know, it, it increased by a much smaller amount in New York, but it's been rising kind of un, mm-hmm. unstoppably. And those those trends, I think, are are very 
are horrible. So in a way, I, I guess I am less hopeful because I, I see, I feel like things are getting worse for a lot, for, for a lot of people. Um, yeah. more, but I at least feel like I have confidence, more confidence in how to approach the problem that I'm trying to solve. Well, I think one of the most interesting things about it is that, like, my sister and I have conversations. My sister reads every, you know, like she can she kind of is my newsfeed, and um, she is. Go, we go back and forth, and there's all these really beautiful things happening, like Me Too, and you know, in this, in mm-hmm. the fact that, like, you know, ten men last, you know, in the last couple of weeks were were fired and re- like, you know, replaced by women, um, yep. you know because of sexual misconduct, like literally like lose their shows and their platform and their microphone and women are, are replacing them. And it's such a, that's such a big, like, it's such a big thing, like to have women believed. And also it's just, it's this very clear shift and, and that's good. And then on the other hand, you see things like, well, like certain monuments are no longer protected and they might drill in Alaska mm-hmm. and they're, you know, 13 million people are going to lose their health care. And, but I, we go back and forth on this and my my what I always say is the same system that upholds, you know, like the same system that that upholds the things that we want and we think are precious is the same system that upholds the fact that sixty two, I guess sixty two point five thousand or sixty two point five thousand uh, homeless people live in LA now, and it's yeah. not sustainable. And so it's, I mean, what I see is it's breaking. Um, it's break like it's and it's going to get worse like because it has to break because this didn't just happen like there just didn't uh, it yeah. didn't just happen that people were using drugs to escape it didn't just happen that people were <laughs> no. living on the streets or couldn't you know had to work four jobs you know to take care of her family and on and on like this has been going on we just a lot of us hadn't seen it and we're now seeing it and it's also escalating because the system's broken I mean that's just my yeah. sense I don't know. I, I totally agree with that. I mean, and I think it's a, a common, you know, conception that drug use is being the rise in drug use and opiate addiction in particular is being driven by, you know, despair. I think Anne Case, the, the researcher from Princeton who who showed that um who showed that the life expectancy of rural white America was declining, um, called them deaths of despair. And, you know, and against the backdrop of like Who who did? Oh, uh, Anne Anne Case. Mm. Uh, she's a she's a researcher from a, she's a professor from from Princeton. Um, I'm sorry, there's a ambulance driving by our building. <laughs> okay. Someone always has in. one. <laughs> uh, New York, there's no no quiet space. Sorry, mm-hmm. I just sit for a moment. Um, Anne Case wrote what? Yeah. <clears throat> Pardon? What did she write? So she um, she wrote. Uh, I I I think the title of her paper might have actually been "Deaths of Despair," mm. um, and and her 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 argument is that um, the you know the reason why life expectancy in rural white America is going down is because of drug addiction and suicide, but um, it is more than can be accounted for through the economic depression that's occurring. Like there there is a lot of it being driven by economics, but there's this surplus, which she, you know, ascribes to despair. And I think, um, that's, that's partially what, what, what you're talking about is, you know, against the backdrop of like really high, um, inequality and people just feeling left out of society that, yeah, you have, I mean, drug use and abuse is always a big feature of kind of like minority communities or people who are excluded from society in different ways. Um, so, 
So in that sense, I think it is, I think that explains partially why it's getting worse, but it's also getting worse among people who have a lot and, and are benefiting from, you know, the, the new tax bill that Congress just passed and are, you know, getting more wealthy than ever. They're also despairing. Yeah. I mean, I, in, even in my Massachusetts has a a very high rates of, um, as you know, and, uh, and where I live, especially, which is a pretty affluent part of the North shore. Um, I have a couple friends that are doctors and they said they've never seen anything quite like this. So it's yeah. not, it, it is, it is not, um, just for the, the West Virginia, you know, that how we sort of picture it this like rural area. I have a question about, um, sort of where, cause I think what I want to give people is like an understanding. It, fe- it can feel so big, like too big to try to start to understand this and understand what, not what we can do, but what can you, what you can do to, I think the number one thing we can start to do is understand really what's happening. Mm-hmm. So who do you pay attention to and who, like who's, cause I, I've read a few books this year. I know Holly's read a bazillion. Um, I just, read dreamland mm-hmm. uh, i don't know if you've read that but who do yeah. you who, who do you look to to sort of i really want to know this too what do you read <laughs> <laughs> well i mean i i honestly don't um read a lot about drug addiction i mean yeah. i i hope that this doesn't come off the wrong way but i i listen to the people that we take care of i mean yeah, totally I anybody knows shit about what's going on out in these communities yeah um, the, the the type of reality that people describe to me is not one that I see reflected um, in our discourse. And uh, that's so important, though. <laughs> but, but particularly Dreamland, um, which which I did read, and I think um, I have respect for for the the work. But I think that it takes a perspective that essentially turns um, the cultural criticism that has been used against African-Americans to shame them um, and say that they're welfare queens and whatnot and turns it back on poor white people. I mean, he explicitly says at one point, you know, a welfare queen doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be black. All the ones that I know are white. And I just so reject, like suggesting that by de-racializing that, that paradigm, that that's somehow an effective way to explain what's going on in society. It's, it's disgusting. It's saying yeah. that there's an epidemic of personal responsibility and a cultural problem, and there isn't. It's not a cultural problem. It's a it's a problem with, um, you know, the Sacklers making $10 billion off of OxyContin and nobody getting um, or more. And mm-hmm. so so I, I don't necessarily see the radicalism and the um, – the desperation that I think is present in society reflected in, um, in our literature currently, or at least what I'm seeing. But, um, no, I think it's, it's one thing to, you know, this uh, Sam Quinones is like, a, if I'm, I'm probably destroying his last name, but that's how I see it. Um, author of dreamland is, you know, he's a mm-hmm. journalist, like he wrote for the LA times and he's yep. reporting on it in a very journalistic way. Yep. He's, he actually did do a lot of interviews or whatever with um, yes. with people who had lost family members, with people who lived in areas where it's most affected and all of that. But I 
agree. It's very, it's so hard to put your finger on it. And I think unless you have a experienced it yourself or have been really impacted by either living in an area or like you, you're treating people um, every day. It's so hard to put your finger on, on what the, what this is all about. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm asking you, you know, what, what do you think of what's out there? Because uh, is it helping or hurting or is it just further? Yeah. I mean, a a book that I read recently that I think is really relevant um, is called uh, Regulating the Poor, which is, it's, it's, it's an old book. It's from the, from the early nineties written by uh, this guy, Francis Piven. Um, And essentially what it is, it's a history of the development of welfare states in Europe and then ultimately the development of the welfare state in the United States, contextualizing it, you know, essentially rejecting the premise that it has anything to do with charity or well-being and really analyzing it as like another market regulation mechanism from the government to look at like, how do you make it so that people have to work um, so that they, you know, they living outside of work is unbearable um, and force people into the, into the labor pool um, by creating welfare systems that don't just like um, don't just provide very low quality of living, but and, and they, they don't really talk about this. But this is something I see a lot. But are also deeply based in shame, and mm-hmm. you know, using guilt and shame as a way to control and kind of move people to 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 do what you want them to do. So I, I think that that kind of perspective is is as relevant as ever. Um, yeah, and we see so many people being left behind. I just added it to my cart. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you like it. Yeah. I mean, our society is set up to basically, I mean, it's set up so that we step on, on, on the weakest and most vulnerable people that we Mm -hmm. rise up off their backs. I mean, that is the way that our, that's the way a capitalist society, or at least the one we have, um, that's what it's set up to do. Preach. Yeah. That's, and we're not a welfare state. Like, like people talk all the time about how America is like such a welfare state and we're just not, we're absolutely not. Like if you walk down the street, like you see people that literally are lying on this, like in the middle of where I, in between my apartment and my work, I walk by people that are lying on the street in their own feces with their feet bleeding, you know? And like, like, like sick sick people lying on the street. We walk around them on the way to our jobs. And like, we are like, we are conditioned to believe that this is normal. We're conditioned to believe that this is like just the way it is. And, and that is not like, I mean, those people will end up in emergency rooms. Those people will end up driving up healthcare costs because that's the only, and, and also I think we're also moving to like, not like moving to a, a state where we won't accept anybody into, I can't remember what, what it is that, that requires hospitals to, to take any patient that comes to them. But we're actually, I think that there's some proposal to end that. But like for the most oh part, God. like this is, we, like there is no, there's such a, a like, I think everyone should read the American healthcare paradox, but. It just talks about how we pick people up and we give them simple things like food and shelter and whatever, um, you know, like that, like it will end up like saving us so much more money in the long run. But we don't look that way. We walk by it and we're, it, we, we've structured it in, a, in such a way that I personally, when I walk by, you know, 10 homeless people on my way to work, there's nothing that I personally can do to affect that, those people's lives. And so we all feel so impotent that we don't do anything. And we just accept yep. it and we keep on going and we keep on going and we keep, it's like the slow death. Um, I, I also think that um, 
I, I live in New York and, um, I think that it shows in the culture of the city that we don't take care of people who, who live with us. We don't take care of our neighbors because Mm -hmm. what does it lead to? It leads to a culture where you walk down the street and you don't talk to anybody Mm -hmm. because you're scared of talking to some person who's, you know, quote unquote homeless, Mm -hmm. um, who is going to bother you or whatever. So, so, so then you end up with this culture where people are walking really fast down the street, eyes at their shoes, you know, no one talks to each other on the train because we've so failed to take care of each other that we can't have a common life. Mm -hmm. And then it just feeds on itself more and more and more and more. And, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to say there's like cultural decay in New York and whatever, but, but I, I think that, I think that we, we have, we have a really um, isolated, you know, an uncaring community. And I think it's connected to why a lot of people who are living in, you know, nice little apartments feel really anxious and lonely. Um, and like they can't, you know, connect with other people are, you know, c- cities like cities like New York are supposedly very lonely, isolating place when you're surrounded by so many people. It's it. I, I think they're a, a, a part of the same thing. I think so too. For sure. Reminds For me sure. of that movie. I, the guy that did Bruce Almighty and Ace Ventura, it's called, I think it's called I Am. Is that it? Either of you seen it? Jim Carrey? No. I know. There's a I'm movie like, is, are you and talking? it's, no, 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 no. The producer. I Am. Uh, there is a movie called I Am. Yeah, it's, it's a documentary. So good. I've watched it so many fucking times. Um, but it talks about like it's like what's wrong with our like what's going on? What's wrong? And what like why are like why are people so unhappy? And it just talks about how we we basically like if you can kind of think like we we all at once saw ourselves as one family and then we ended up moving into into a system where we, you know, like where we were you know, trying to accumulate and we built boxes around ourselves and we, you know, mm-hmm. and the, and we othered people. And I mean, it's like, if you really want to like be meta about it, I mean, it's because we've turned away from like this internal knowing of what we're here to do. We've lost track in this world yep. and we, you know, we don't count what's, what's real and what's important. We count, we, we basically worry about survival and, and, and self and yeah. don't necessarily really, we don't, be, we've forgotten that we belong to each other, you know, as Glenna would say. Yeah. I feel thoroughly depressed. I know, but the the best part of this is that Jeff is like like one of the best parts of this is like what Jeff has built is beautiful and it's like and it's working yeah. and and he's doing this not because he thinks it's a really smart business venture. You know, he's doing this because it's like like what his heart bleeds. And the same mm-hmm. is for you know, that's like that's why I like him. And like the same <laughs> is true for you, Laura. And the same is true for yeah. me. And we know so many people yep. like that. And the other part of this that's really great is that we know that personal risk like it really does come down to the empowerment of the individual. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like we like we ourselves understand that it comes down to giving somebody an oxygen mask so that they can you know or, or boots or whatever it is so that they can turn around and do the same for others. We understand that, like you know, in, that you know, you have to. The work you do on yourself is the work you do on the world. I can't remember whose whose quote that is, but and you and I, and Laura, you and I see this in so. Like, I mean, my my inbox is stuffed with letters of people that are mm-hmm. seen clearly. And Jeff, you you know, you go on nine city tours and you talk mm-hmm. with these people whose lives that that your company changes. And so, I mean, the the beautiful part is like where there's such despair is where there's also opportunity to affect great change. Yeah. Yes, I, sure. I, I totally agree with that. And I think that 
if there is a good thing that's coming out of discussion about you know the opiate epidemic as a, as a news item and as a political topic, is that it's it's only possible to discuss in the context of you know broader human welfare in this country and the mm-hmm. access to housing and work that people have and you know what's happened to to rural communities in the context of globalization. Um, you know I think that that is obviously that's on the tip of everybody's tongue now. And I don't think that it was that way even even a year ago. Oh, no. Um, yeah. <laughs> Agree. Uh, with the, I mean, for better or worse, regardless of what you think about the the way that the, the um, I mean, the president and is talking about the opi- opiate crisis and all this, late as it may be, or, you know, I don't agree with the, what, the, what they're saying, but it's mm-hmm. definitely, it's definitely getting it further up in the things that people are talking about, um, yeah. for what it's that's a, worth. It's a, it's a stand-in for, for talking about, you know, what kind of society we want to live in and what, yes. um, what, <laughs> what type of suffering we're willing to, we're willing to, uh, accommodate. Yeah. That's a very very good way to put it. So what do we do? <laughs> Besides what we're doing. I mean, what do you what are you focusing on, Jeff? Like in your in your work and what are you thinking about right now and yeah, in your company and where are you going? So, I mean, what do we do kind of kind of structurally? Um so one one kind of political project that that I'm interested in that groups I think is squarely a example of is related to what, what you were saying before, Holly, that that we spend so little on social services and then we spend so much on healthcare. Mm-hmm. I think that um, cost savings and expense in the US healthcare system um, offers an opportunity to think about, you know, how does how does essentially reduce healthcare service costs by turning social services into healthcare services, if that, if that makes sense. So just to Mm -hmm. provide an example, you know, um, to, to go back to homelessness, um, I, I've been, you know, very interested in models of, you know, street teams that can go out and provide, um, what looks like and is paid for, like it's healthcare, uh, to go out and work with people and get them into stable housing Mm -hmm. and to prevent them from being hospitalized and to, and to help them in a, in a variety of ways. But, you know, it's it's stuff like that that I think offers an opportunity to maybe make the have the snake bite its tail a little bit. Where if if you have a for example a health insurer who is trying to or a hospital system that's trying to reduce asthma in you know a part of Harlem where 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 I live, um, at a certain point you have to go and start getting all the mold out of all the apartments mm-hmm. in the housing. Like that's that's the only thing that's going to move the needle. So I think that maybe healthcare spending has gotten so out of control and we have you know for example the opiate epidemic and some other things where we're we're able to really go and make a compelling case to the folks that are spending you know hundreds of billions of dollars mm-hmm. a year these types of services that if they do things that heretofore we categorized as socialism or whatever else um they can actually save money and right. that is you know certainly not like maybe the most um pure political project because it's still motivated by someone's profit, but at least it gets someone a house maybe, or it gets someone, you know, 
some some help that they are otherwise not not going to receive. So that's what we think about a lot in our our drug addiction treatment. I mean, if you talk to the people that that work here and the and the members that we serve, they're worried about employment and housing and yeah. um, just very basic. You know, it might as well be the poor people's campaign. It's, just, it's the same. It's the same stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's that it's impure. I think honestly, you're it's just, just realistic op- operating in the uh, in this in the society that we live in in a very realistic context. You know. Yeah, yeah. And, and and that's what I love about kind of the the entrepreneurship that we all do is that um, you know in a in a capitalist society, I mean, how, how do you change the landscape that, that right. you're in? And I, that behavior we just call entrepreneurship, but it's um. That's it's right. a lot of different things. That's right. Right. So what, and what else are so you doing stuff like that? And then are you, are you expanding to other areas? Are you kind of like, you guys have like 40 clinics right now, correct? Yeah, we do. We do. Okay. So groups has been, groups has been growing a lot where we're opening um, more than a new facility every week, actually. Um, wow. And that's just because of the incredible need that we're facing. Right. Um, and it's been it, it's been a really exciting year. We've 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 grown a tremendous amount, but I think even more importantly, the the patients that we're serving are doing really well. And yeah. we finally made some very interesting new inroads into working with um with corrections uh, mm. facilities in some states with parole and probation. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you know there there are a couple of things that I'm from what we do. One is the work that we do with pregnant women um, mm-hmm. who times won't you know can't find an ob or can't um can't can't get anyone to really really help them because they're they're so incredibly stigmatized even by other people who are using heroin they're like oh yeah i, was pregnant. I wouldn't be doing this you know you're, yep. you're a real bad actor um so them and then and then also you know keeping people out of jail i i, I think is is incredibly important and um you know putting giving them an opportunity to not just get their lives back, but to essentially, you know, build an alternative regime for them to, them to exist inside of and to, and to, you know, make their parole officers and probation officers content that they're, that they're doing well. Um, that's been, that's been really exciting. And we're seeing that those people do incredibly well in our program, um, because the incentives are so strong and, um, yeah, that's been, I think those have been some of the highlights for us recently. That's awesome. Um, I uh, yeah. I was I've been talking to a lot of people um, here that are in the medical community and have there's nothing really like that going on here mm. in where I live um, for for alcohol or or <laughs> uh, opioid treatment. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like the it it can be overwhelming if you think about the the larger problem, but all this stuff happens like one one day, one conversation, one piece at a time. Um, and I think that's that's why we keep doing it, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Totally. <sighs> well, is there anything that you guys? I mean, I feel like this is it gets so good, and it's also I I don't even actually understand what you said actually. Can I can we backtrack one second? What did you say about Sam 
um, can, I can't even pronounce his name. Canonis. Canonis. Can, what did yeah. you say about radicalization? Same, you said something about radicalization. Like, I don't know if you were agreeing or disagreeing with something. Can you? About radicalization in the context of, of what? I'm sorry. What, what did I say? I don't remember what you, <laughs> you said. You don't know. What was the question? <laughs> Never mind. We were I, no, no, about, no. And, we were talking about Dreamland. And yeah. You, oh. Yeah, and well, I'm trying to hedge a little bit because I've I've spoken to him. He's he's a he's a decent person, but you know, I think um, I I think the the most important part of it is is this idea of just repurposing um, blatantly racist tropes that ascribe social decay and social problems to individuals and make mm. individuals who are suffering out to be monsters mm. are just being repurposed um, and people are acting like it's a breath of fresh air because he's talking about poor white people rather than African-Americans. In what way and is he doing this? Like, how is he doing, like, what, are, give me an example of, of some. It's in the first chapter of his book that he only knows welfare queens and they're all white. And, you know, I, I just think that the, the portrait that he paints is one of, is one of, um, and I know, I obviously recovery from, um, drug addiction or always entails a level of personal responsibility and spiritual awakening. But as a, and, and on a individual recovery level, it is essential, but as an analytic for understanding our society, it is deeply antisocial and prevents us from seeing the, the forces that are actually at work. Mm. Um, yeah. And I see in some of his other work, you know, he, he, he has a foundation which is noble for orphans of um, people who have, you know, overdosed on, uh, on heroin um, to, to support the grandparents and the children who are living through this epidemic. But there is an element of it that is also blaming those people. That's right. And that is right. right. We'll take care of their children, though, but they're just irresponsible. That's right. And I just, I find that reprehensible. I think that's one of the things that I, my sister works in the uh, criminal, like she works in uh, juvenile detention center, creating learning plans. And she's always worked in, you know, severely underprivileged areas. And I found, I found it so interesting. We've had talks about it since, but I found it so interesting that she can see in her kids and she can hold the space for her, her kids, their innocence, um, you know, as they grow old and as they, you know, I mean, like uh, the, she call she and her partner both work in the school, school system and, and call it the, um, education to prison pipeline. I can't remember it exactly, but like, there's just this, this acknowledgement that, you know, the, the trajectory mm-hmm. that sits in front of their kids and the homes they come from and the parents that they have. And I found it so interesting that they can hold such a, an innocence and compassion towards their kids. And then when they talk about the parents, it's, it's, um, the drug addict, the mother, the like, you know, it's the, right. the, the end. Right. And we've had conversations about this where, where there, there is, it's so funny how we just tend to completely lose compassion when we look at it through, through different lenses. And this is one of those things that just like that picture, I can't get over the picture that those, those, those patrolmen took of, of the parents passed out, you know, OD'd oh, God, in their minivan with their kids in the car crying and and how much blame goes to those? How much disgust was right at the parents, at right? Instead of compassion for 
what what does it take for that to happen? What takes you there? What is that life like? Mm-hmm. And so it's just such a it's such a I mean it's historically a moral issue, right? I mean it's a you know it's that's it. It's it's mm-hmm. a historically a moral issue, and we live in a um patriarch not patriarchal a, a Protestant. I mean it, we like that's our we come from that we come mm-hmm. from this idea that morals you know there's moral good and bad right people. that there's good and bad people, and this is. Not the same thing as, you know, uh, you know, even eating too much, you know, or uh, it's so it's yep. just it's but it's this entirely anyway, I haven't read Dreamland yet, actually. So it's it's worth it's worth looking at. Um, I, I think I, it's good from yeah. a historical standpoint. Yeah, Did, no, there's, there's pieces I didn't there. really know. Um, mm-hmm. I don't and I don't know that you'd have to read that book to get the historical perspective. But I I think that's valuable. But what keep going because I I you were going to have more okay. to that thought. Um, well, what I was, what I was going to say was, um, that, oh, what was I going to say? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, I, I, I've actually just realized that, that, that you've been talking about, um, I'm talking about a different book than you. I'm not talking oh. about Johanna's dreamland. I'm talking about a different book. Um, what book are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, let me figure that I'm out. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure. Like maybe I missed the first chapter because I wasn't <laughs> getting that. Totally. I take it all back. I'm so sorry. Okay. Sorry, I'm, Sam Quinones. Sorry, Sam Quinones. <laughs> I'm not talking about you. Um, you know what? Since I had nothing nice to say, I'm just going to say nothing at all. Why am I going to yeah. tell you about a different? No, that book's fine. That book's great. I mean, <laughs> the, book is, <laughs> the book is a good history of. Of, of drug addiction, particularly in the Midwest, you know, tracing a lot of the, a lot of the, the historical development of the, of the cartels too, um, right. which, which, which I think, I think is really, really important. Yeah. Um, so any- when we do the introduction for this, <laughs> oh, we'll no. actually say before we, before you get to the end, we wanted to say that Jeff misunderstood the book and that Dreamland is actually, he thinks it's pretty good. <laughs> because oh, yeah. I was, I was thinking, I was like, cause I'm not all the way through it and I'm going, man, he must've taken a major turn. Cause I don't. <laughs> I don't remember him going this way, meaning Sam Canunis in the book. Mm-hmm. So, um, yep. Um, that's awesome. So, yeah, so, with yeah. that, I got, can't wait to get invited back again. You're <laughs> 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 always <laughs> invited. Uh, oh, this is awesome. I love, I love uh, talking to you for this reason. Um, no, I'm, I, I'm really happy to, to have a, the, the, space with you all to kind of just think about some of the social implications of this, yeah. of this more, more broadly, because yeah. it, it opens a lot of, um, you know, doors for, for us to have a, a, you know, a narrative that exists outside of some of the really narrow parameters where we're typically allowed to talk about, you know, um, all of this. Yeah. Human welfare in the United States. And, and just as much as, I, I think the the two big things that I see opiate addiction doing kind of uh, that that the challenge the narrative um, on the right and on the left in politics in the United States is that it it deeply undermines narratives of personal responsibility because you have millions of people getting addicted to drugs all at the same time. Um, and that that really challenges conservative notions of personal responsibility. But then, at least within the Democratic Party, I think you have notions of justice in a fair society that largely ignore um, rural white Americans because they, mm-hmm. they've not 
been brought into this kind of like multicultural coalition and have been viewed as a as a problem and as racist. And I think that um, it really challenges all of those notions of of what a fair and just society looks like too, because they heretofore have not been included in the in in the vision. Um, so so true. Do about that. Well, then but there's I, also I, the like the fact that we're not spending on like that. You're you're creating a place. You're creating something in the market. You're creating something that doesn't exist. You're going out and you're working directly with the population. You know. Also, like historically, this stuff has been like left out of the healthcare system. Addiction has been left mm-hmm. out of the healthcare system. It's not covered by insurance. It's covered by the twelve steps. Um, it's covered by AA and NA. And so it's one of these things that is like, it's, it's pushed out of society and we don't spend money on it. We don't also don't spend money on preventing people from getting there. And then at the same, on the same coin, we spend how much money on like the, the war on drugs. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's like, there's even, there's things that we didn't even get into today about how this is like, you know, like what we could do with the money that's spent in, you know, in that way. You know, and if we move towards like you know, decriminalization and legalization, and anyway, I just I think that there's it's um, I mean, you're very we're just topic. right, and this is just that like the, people are just starting to pay attention to this, like in the mainstream, mm-hmm. people are just starting to in the last what 10, 20 years look at addiction. Um, as a, like, as a, as, as something that we, that we, we should care about. And, and even at that, it was not brought up in, I don't think one of the debates, the one, not one of the presidential debates when, when said anything about addiction from what I remember. I don't know if you not, guys do. I don't know. Nope, I didn't. Not did, one. Prominent. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, so. it's really, it's, it's really depressing. And, and I think that, um, it's telling that, you know, the, the Trump administration has done jack shit about the epidemic aside from, you know, kind of just perpetuate the, the war on dr- failed war on drugs via Jeff Sessions and Hillary Clinton, I don't think would have necessarily done, done anything, anything. No, differently. no. Um, and, you know, in the Obama administration, they had one one billion dollar bill uh, to pay for drug addiction treatment that has translated into absolutely nothing. That's I mean, right. it's just it's just such a lot. So lost in the sea of, uh, of, of pain and suffering. So it's not an important population because people do it to themselves because on and on. Right. And here's the thing that's, that's crazy is that the, the people that are, that are in the midst of this are deeply radical. They're what do you mean? Really, really radical. Like in their, in, in their politics. I mean, there is a very strong consensus that elected government is completely against us is to- totally left us behind. There, there's no concern. Um, wait, for, wait, wait. I want you to slow, because I'm confused. Sure. I'm guessing maybe others are. So you're oh, talking sorry. about in the, that's okay, in the in the addicted populations or in the, in your, in, in your populations. Yes. In your populations, the, that's the, research, the radicalism? Yeah. That's where the yes, radical, and okay. the, and the people that, and the people that take care of them that are coming from, you know, we're, we're in rural, small, largely conservative communities. Yep. And people are, people are very, very radicalized, um, but not along traditional lines. I mean, they, they can see that they have been left out of right. the prosperity. And right. yeah, I mean, they're not stupid. It's pretty obvious from, right. from, 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 you know, middle America that, guess, that we're hollowed out. And I, my guess is that it's they, that they were Trump supporters or, or largely were at the beginning. In I large mean, part. I mean, yep. he, he has channeled the the the, the disenfranchised of, right yes 
Yes, and there were only other establishment candidates really to to choose from in in some extent. And that is a is a depressing expression of that of that feeling. But I I relate to it deeply. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. What are your day? I'm, I know you're probably. I, I, we're I like have maybe to go. I'm 15 minutes. Late. I'm fine. Okay. Oh, okay. But um. Well, we'll continue. Okay. Wait, what we'll were you gonna? Were, was it a quick question? I'm Mom? just curious. No, maybe not. I'm curious what your days are like, Jeff. Like what you're like who you spend <laughs> most of your time with? Because I I'm just wondering. Like you're running. I don't know. This it's not a short question. We'll save it for next time. Day in the life okay. of Jeff. Um, I, I I will say that I I did remember I was talking about hillbill uh hillbillyology. Oh God, that makes so much more sense. <laughs> yes, it does make sense because that's what I meant. <laughs> so um, I should be more. I should be more careful. All right. but, uh, that was also what an interesting book, but very different. Yeah, I, and that makes different. a lot more. Sense. Very, very, very okay. different. Um, so anyway, thank you both for having me. Oh, on you don't want to answer the thing? What, what you do with your days? Oh, sure, I would love to. <laughs> um, so I spend um, most of my time uh, trying to trying to improve our, our clinical care. So we, um, we really think of ourselves as the, um, medical provider that, that most understands the, the needs of people who are suffering from, um, opiate addiction. And there are a whole set of kind of ancillary problems that, that people face, um, you know, being criminalized, um, Mm -hmm. having access to healthcare and, um, having access to transportation and housing that, um, I mean, particularly transportation that we, um, we spend a lot of time doing product development on. I mean, right now we're working on this really kind of crazy project to, um, where we're, we're building a ride sharing system, um, that our, our members are going to be able to use. That's all SMS based because most people don't have data plans. They don't have um, access to the internet and they don't have transportation, but they, they can text and, you know, getting people connected so that they can use that type of infrastructure, um, you know, to, to, to get a ride, you know, and we're building it in a HIPAA compliant way because we're a medical practice. You know, it's a really, it's, so it's cool. a pretty out there thing. Um, you know, people say everything is the, the Uber version, but this is actually the Uber <laughs> of, of like opiate addiction, very, very literally. Um, so, you know, so, so this people, is like, you're, I mean, you say the medical provider, but you're like, touching you're like figuring out these super specific barriers to care pain, pain yeah. points that yeah. people have barriers to care and you're addressing mm-hmm. them which is well, incredible all, is what healthcare should do that's what right. healthcare as, as we should established, do the government isn't going to do it that's right and people are dying right so i'm just building a company to do it because i don't know what else to get it done that's right <laughs> well no it's so interesting that this is so surprising that this would be part of healthcare, like actually right. like ambulatory like getting people to the place or like helping them with these like life things that get in the way of their ability to take care of their health but that is what healthcare is like it's it is like yeah. that is what it's sh- like the intended is is like people care and anyway yep. you're so amazing thank you Thank you. And, and if we can even redirect 5% of the spending that we have right now away from, you know, unnecessary surgical procedures and towards this kind of stuff, I think we'll have a better society. That's right. Thank you for doing what you do and thank for coming you. on again. Yeah. And, and thank you all for, for the work that you do at Hip Sobriety and elsewhere. I mean, there, there, there's, there's so much 
so much work to be done. Mm-hmm. There is. There is. There is. Let's um, get back to it. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. All right. Thank you both. Bye-bye. Swear.